Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Shot and severely wounded, this retired law enforcement officer barely survived. He and his wife are here to talk about his amazing, miraculous survival and the toll it's taken on him and his family. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from Missouri, we have Amanda and Aaron Pearson on the phone. Thanks for calling in the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Yeah, we're excited to, to be here today to be with you guys. Now, Aaron is retired police officer from the Springfield, Missouri Police Department. And I'll, I'll let you all tell the story, but I want people to know ahead of time, Aaron was shot and severely wounded, barely survived. It, the fact that he survived and he's here to talk to us uh, is miraculous. And, and I'm sure a man is going to fill people in a lot of the details <laughs> and you'll understand why. And I've been following you guys for a couple of years, actually, through the group Wounded Officers Initiative, became aware of you and the situation of what happened. And it's just a, a pleasure and an honor to have both of you on the show with us. Yeah, yeah. We ha- we love being a part of that group and um, really enjoy getting to meet up with other wounded officers and share Aaron's story and what we went through and what police officers go through more than people realize. They do. They the People don't get the straight scoop. They don't get the realities of what happens. And, you know, Hollywood doesn't help. And even television shows like Live PD and uh, Cop, they really don't show the realities of what happens. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. when a situation happens where an officer is severely injured, all too often what happens in the news media is they'll say, the good news is he's going to survive. He or she will survive. Or the injuries are not life-threatening. And they don't talk about how catastrophically injured these these men and women are and how devastating the effects are on them physically, emotionally, 
mentally, financially, and the same with their entire family. They just don't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, even I was a little bit naive to that fact. My dad uh, was a police officer, retired on disability. It was a knee injury. Aaron's dad is a police officer, but I think we both were very naive to the fact that, like, oh, that doesn't, that won't happen to us. There's so many police officers out there, but you're right. I mean, the unless it's a death or an extreme accident, I don't think people even realize a fraction of all of that that the police officers have to deal with injury-wise. And I think if, if you do hear about it, then it's, it's one day and then it's gone and people forget. It's a relatively short news cycle. I remember being a rookie police and we were always told, and I'm sure Aaron can relate to this, and I'm, I'm sure your dad and Aaron's dad can relate to this. They always said, if something bad happened to you, we'd always take care of your family. We'll, we've got you covered. We'll take care of you. And what we found out was that really applied to when an officer was killed in line of duty uh, with insurances and all those other things. The finances are, are a totally different situation than when an officer survives. And it's a totally different scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always knew we were part of a family and that they would take care of us. And, and in all honesty, Aaron's agency and our city really didn't let him um, be forgotten and they did take care of us. But sadly, that was an outlier of what typically happens. And um, yeah, we we knew that we were a part of a family and, and all of that. But to the extent that Aaron was handled and, and, and on the opposite, how other people were handled, uh, we had no idea. We really didn't. Well, please, if you are in communication with anybody in the city and that agency, please tell them I said thank you for the simple fact that they took care of you and Aaron. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely will. It, that was the sad thing when we got to talking with the other officers at Wounded Officers Initiative. None of them had as great an outcome or support that, that Aaron um, got for sure. This community really opened their arms and, and helped raise funds and, ha- and, and really not let Aaron's um, memory fade. You know, here we are almost five years post-shooting and, you know, we've faded into the background a little bit, sure, but um, we still have really great community support. Aaron will still get stopped almost every time he's out by someone to tell him thank you and uh, it's really amazing the community that we live in but sadly it is not the norm. You're going to make me cry thinking that (laughs) the people stop Aaron and say thank you and Aaron I don't know about you but I've been thanked more since I've been retired than I ever was when I was on the job. Yeah, that's definitely true. And the fact that you can even talk to us right now (laughs) is a miracle. And and Amanda will talk more about that later on. Because from what I read, the doctors, A, didn't think you'd survive this horrific injury. And they said if you did, you probably wouldn't walk. And talking would be almost an impossibility. Is that uh, an understatement? Yeah, well, that's what I was... Well, I don't remember any of that, but that's as far as Amanda knows. Yes, like, yeah. So, so you're here talking, breathing, and able to have a, a conversation about this uh, is amazing. I, I, I'll just tell you very briefly before we get into your story. There was a guy I worked with in Baltimore 
named Gene, and he was shot through the head, I believe, twice, and we didn't think he'd survive. And it was a point-blank range. I believe it was a thirty-eight revolver. He survived, and he lost his sense of smell. He was blinded, and he had a lot of other health conditions. But he went on to continue to teach, and it's just a phenomenal guy. So these miracles, they happen daily. When we're talking with gunshot wounds, they're always horrible. Uh, we're talking about gunshot wounds to the head. They are almost quite often not survivable. Yeah, I think the statistics that I read, I think it's 10% of gunshot wound victims to the head end up surviving, something like that. Why don't you, Amanda, from what you've been told, what you've learned from investigators and from court testimony, what happened when uh, Aaron was injured? So from, cause I was present every day in court. Um, and I thought I knew the whole story going into that, but listening to testimonies of officers and things, I learned a lot more of uh, details. So Aaron, um, was, it was actually his buddy that was called as backup. These, um, it was like one in the morning, um, suspicious vehicle, one of the officers is following this suspicious vehicle and two guys get out. One of the guys starts walking between houses and this is the middle of the night in a not so great part of town. So they say, Hey, we need somebody else to come talk to the guy that walked away. And it was actually Aaron's buddy that he was parked with that got the call. But Aaron said, Oh, I'll go with you too. And so they roll up. These two guys are now back together and they stop. Aaron's buddy takes one guy and Aaron takes the suspect. So Aaron goes, the guy won't stop. He turns around and walks away and Aaron Aaron radios, hey, should I follow this guy? And they go, yes. And as soon as that happens, the guy turned around and unloaded his gun on Aaron. I think think it was also a revolver and I think it was all six shots were shot. He drops and takes off across the street. Aaron um, was hit only once by the grace of God. But it did, uh, he did, he did fall. And then, of course, his officer, the officer, you know, rendered aid until the other, the other people could get there. But it was just, just wanting to ask a guy some questions and he wasn't going to be asked any questions and just thought that was what the easiest way out, I guess. And I'm sure for Aaron, as many police officers, in my experience, that sort of thing where you have a guy you want to stop and talk to about potentially being involved in some sort of crime or suspicious behavior, and they don't want to cooperate and they want to run, happens almost daily across yeah, the United all States. The time. I mean, there was nothing, nothing out of the ordinary for Aaron to already have his weapon out. There was no chance. And, and actually, upon in investigation and when they got to Aaron, when he was down, he was actually on top of his, his weapon. So he was able to get it out of his holster, but wasn't able to react any further than that. So he saw, you know, that there was danger, but didn't have enough time to react any further than that. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Amanda and Aaron Pearson. Aaron is a retired Springfield, Missouri police officer. He was shot and severely wounded and has a miraculous survival. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. 
Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to our conversation with Amanda and Aaron Pearson on the Law Enforcement Today show. If you're just joining us, Aaron is retired Springfield, Missouri police officer, he was shot in in the face, the head, severely injured, barely survived. The doctors gave him very little chance of survival, and they are here to talk about this. I'll be honest, Amanda and Aaron, these conversations are very difficult to have, and I struggle for the right words. So if I come across and say something that seems not quite right, that's why. And even after all these years of police work and years of working radio and years of doing Law Enforcement Today show and the interviews, we talk about really difficult things, very emotional topics when loved ones get hurt or on the brink of death. And it's just flat out uncomfortable and awkward. There's no rule book on what to say. Yeah. um, You know what, though? We feel like if, if we weren't sharing the story, if we were not talking about it, first of all, we don't want Aaron's sacrifice to 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 fade away and second of all we we feel like the lord saved him for a reason and you know he went up against all odds wasn't supposed to live definitely wasn't supposed to be talking and um so we take every opportunity we can to share his story and share the the blessings that god made in our lives because what a waste it would be if we if we didn't um, he was saved for a reason, and so we want to share the story, and we enjoy sharing the story as hard as it is and as emotionally challenging as it is. It, it's almost cathartic to share and um, feel those feelings again. You're doing a great job at it, by the way, much better mm-hmm. than I think I could. There's still th- certain things that I went through in police work, uh, either where I was victimized or, or or experienced extreme violence that happened to other people that I get very upset about and I have a difficult time talking about. So the fact that you can do this in the manner that you are is, is exemplary. When you say mm-hmm. a miracle uh, by the grace of God, and, and I've heard trauma surgeons that have saved lives say that, look, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just our team. We were guided by some sort of divine inspiration. Uh, People can take with that whatever they want, but there are people, Aaron is is a a perfect example. There are people walking among us. We go to the grocery store right now. There could be a man or woman next to you in line in the grocery store that is a walking, 
talking miracle that shouldn't have survived, but they did. And there's a reason why. And I think you put it perfectly when you said the reason why you're happy to share a story. Yeah, yeah. We um, we feel like it's somewhat of a calling. And to be able to turn such a negative experience into and to try to make it into something positive is, you know, it makes sense. It, it makes what happened more understandable and more accepting. Well, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> Going back, you know, Aaron went to back up another officer. The guy took off before he had a chance to really do much of anything. The the guy opened fire on, on Aaron and you said he was struck and he was down. How, how devastating were his injuries? You want to talk about that? Well, well, the devastating, well, like I said, I don't remember a whole lot. I just know I was, you know, I was shot right in my left eye, right, right into in the, and all of it still, I give us, uh, it didn't go through or anything. It was all, you know. Yeah, the bullet fragment. Fragment, yeah, we're in, in the brain and everything. So, like I said, when I was in the hospital and everything, I don't remember any of that. So, that's the problem. Like, the pain, I don't, I didn't have any of that. I was there for, I don't know how many weeks or all that other stuff. I was, you know, I was in a coma there for a while and. When I finally went to Atlanta, I, I have very few, I could only remember a few things. And, but then when I was able to finally start walking and then when I was able to start walking and doing stuff, then I could finally start remembering stuff. And, but other than that, everything was getting better. I was, you know, finally start to walk and kind of play with my kids and stuff. But they were thinking the doctor, from what I read, the doctor was saying they didn't expect that you were transferred to a, a specialty rehab facility, I believe, in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Mm-hmm. And they, they were saying, hey, the, the worst case scenario, uh, Amanda, is that Aaron probably won't talk and he may not walk again. And then this guy, this guy, Aaron, is, is trying to walk before he leaves the hospital. Oh, I know. You know, it was almost comical how, like, bullheaded he was about everything um and it it just showed his fighting spirit when he first got injured we started tracking his injury with uh gabby giffords who was shot point blank in the head um and the only difference between her injury and aaron's was that the bullet exited her head and aaron's did not his stayed in his brain and so we, because she had such a tremendous um, recovery, we were like, okay, this is what we can expect. This would be a great outcome. And I think by the fifth day after his injury, the things that he started doing were things that she wasn't doing until two and three weeks. And that's when we were like, holy, this is, this is happening. He's, he's doing amazing. And, and even by day five, you know, we were like, wow, stuff is happening so fast. And, and yeah, he was, they got him out the first day to walk with a walker. And we were still at Mercy here in Springfield. We hadn't left for Atlanta yet. And so we're like maybe a week and a half post injury. And they, they get him out very first day to walk on a walker. They've got a gate belt around him to hold on to him in case he staggers or falls. 
And he goes, they go down the length of the hallway and they go to make the turn and they're like, okay, be really careful. He picked up the walker and turned in a circle and then went back the other direction. It was just like, does he even know he's doing that? It was just, it was like, he, it was truly like a miracle we were watching in, in front of our eyes. It was really, really cool. I really don't know what to, to say to respond to that, but I'm visualizing <laughs> my mind that that this guy, and he's doing things that the doctor's going, oh, by the way, he'll probably never get do it. Wait, what's happening? He's doing it. Exactly, and, exactly. They Even the physical therapist that was there was like, this is hilarious. Like, this is unreal. This doesn't happen. We heard that so often. This doesn't happen. This isn't typical recovery. What's the old saying that people, the joke, they say, you can't do that. And it's like, what? Let me show you. You yeah, dare me. exactly. Watch and, me. And yep. he, from what I read, and I, I, maybe you can clarify this, I don't think Aaron was totally aware of how bad his situation is supposed to be. He's like, well, let me show you what I'm supposed to do. Right. No, he was under, he was on so many drugs to come to mask the pain and to take care of the swelling in the brain and to, you know, just to get him through the day that. He had no idea. It was really a true awakening when we got to Atlanta and they were like, he's coming off all of those meds because we got to get him moving. We got to wake him up, they said, you know, because he was under so many meds that, yes, he was walking, but he was sleeping so much and he was, his body was recovering and and we got there and they were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to wean him off as many of these meds as we can. And we're going to, we're going to get moving. And, and they, they wasted no time starting on his recovery. And thank God for people like that, that, that work in these fields. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Amanda and Aaron Pearson on the law enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years. Radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans, too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. 
When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Return our conversation with Amanda and Aaron Pearson on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Aaron, just to recap, is a retired Springfield, Missouri police officer. By the way, Aaron, thank you for your service. Very much appreciated. Thank you. And also, Amanda, I never know quite what to say to the spouses, but I want to thank you as well because they pay a heavy price and they no one does this job without the support of a family. You got to have someone in your corner. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think being the daughter of a police officer definitely um, helped me um, know kind of what I was getting myself into, so to speak. But my dad always told me growing up, don't date a police officer. You know, it's it's too hard on the family. Um, it's a higher than 50% divorce rate. It's just tough. And Aaron was not um, training to be a police officer when we met. Um, it ended up becoming a decision about a year after we were married. And then, you know, I was already tied down to him, <laughs> I oh. guess. So it just it just was meant to be. <laughs> well, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and, and you're right about the divorce. Uh, I'm remarried. Uh, my first yeah. marriage ended in divorce uh, in large part due to my inability to handle things better that we yeah, went through. The, the demands of the job, the emotional stress and strain that the officers go through that the wives can't even begin to comprehend. Um, it's it's just really, really hard. And it takes someone very special for spouses, and I'm, I'm talking about husbands, wives, doesn't matter, for our first responders and law enforcement officers in particular. My yeah, wife now sure. has, my wife, I met her many years after retired, and she still, to some degree, pays a toll for what I went through back then, yeah, but she sure. understands that there's a lot of things that I'm just not the same guy I was when I was 19. Just not going right. to be. Right. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of not being the same guy, uh, we're talking about the miraculous recovery of Mm -hmm. Aaron. How bad was the physical prognosis for his injuries? It was really bad. So when I got to the hospital, before I even saw him, they took me by the shoulders and they said, hey, he's been shot in the head. I I had no idea. The whole way there, all I knew was he'd been shot. I didn't know anything else. Then I see him and they're prepping him for surgery and they've got syringes and gauze and there's still blood on his clothes. And um, I didn't even have time to react. I just had time to bend down and say, you have to fight for your kids. Um, Our kids were three years old and seven months old. I mean, we were just starting our family. And so they go in, they take Aaron into surgery. I think he was in surgery for like seven hours. They had to take part of his skull off so that his brain could swell. Um, And they were trying to reduce that swelling. And so I'm waiting in the waiting room, letting down friend after friend after friend. Hey, I heard an officer was shot on the news. Is Aaron okay? And I'm having to say, no, it was Aaron Um, over and over and over again all morning. And so finally the the doctor comes out and says, "Um, Hey, let's talk about uh, how the surgery went. The surgery went well. Um, the bullet went under his left eye. So, uh, because it smashed through the part of his brain that deals with communication, um, he's going to have weakness. It went through the left side. So he's going to have weakness on his right side and, um, he probably won't ever talk again. And I had not really cried up until that point, um, because I think I was in shock and I didn't really know what to cry about as of that time. 
And that was my time to break down. Um, Aaron has such a funny personality and that was part of what I fell in love with. He is, he cracks jokes and he is, he's funny and sweet and um, a gentle giant. And thinking about him not being able to joke around with his kids and it was the lowest point. And then I went in to see him and he didn't, and I, I, and then they, they weren't sure if they were going to be able to keep his eye or not keep his eye. And then I I got, I had to meet with the optometrist to say, Oh, no, we weren't able to save his eye. And, and then everything is a blur after that. I mean, thank God he recovered as quickly as he did, or I don't know if I would have kept such a positive attitude. I mean, I at least had little nuggets of recovery to hold on to every couple of days, like, oh, he's doing this. Oh, he's doing that. You know, um, tiny little steps in the right direction that were my, they were everything for me to hold on to when that happened. Now, Aaron says that probably based on the, the, the physical trauma to the brain and the, the emotional mental trauma, he doesn't remember what happened or the immediate after effects. Right. Well, and then they were but telling you do. me. You, you, you remember all this vividly. You, you. Oh, yeah. And then, and then I remember them telling me, you know, patients with brain injuries sometimes have altered personalities. So they were like, so he's alive, but he might be a completely different person than from what you knew before. And that was just as scary as not having someone. I mean, okay, so now I have this person that I, I have vows to be with and to love and I don't even know who he's going to be when he comes when he you know finally wakes up so that was very terrifying as well how does one even respond to that I I, I right. wouldn't know where to begin and I don't know there's any we always say there's no rule book on this and, and police are really big in rules and regulations and procedures and policies and all that stuff well there's no rule book there's no policies and procedures on what do you do when you're faced with this possible outcome right I know. I did a lot of praying. <laughs> um, I visited the chapel at the hospital a whole bunch. <laughs> that's that's a great answer because mine probably be involved in punching stuff and getting mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There might have been a little bit of that. <laughs> and I think that would be totally understandable. That and the anger that that oftentimes accompanies that kind of fear. I, I can only speak for me. When I'm most right. angry is when I'm most fearful. And when I'm most fearful, I think that anger has a way of helping propel me towards some sort of resolution. Yeah, some action. It gives you a way to act and a way to be, to deal with what what you, what you've been dealt. <laughs> but I don't know don't know that that I would find let me rephrase that. When you went to the chapel and were praying when Aaron was very much touch and go, and you didn't know if he's going to be the same guy as he was before, if he even survived. Did you find any type of solace, any type of relief there? Yeah, you know, it was odd. I, I've i never been one to, like, pray out loud or be the one to, you know, say, everybody, let's bow our heads and pray type of thing. So when I would walk into the chapel, I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, I just went, and I knew that I felt at peace there. It was quiet. It was beautiful. It was a place where I felt comfortable because I'd been going to church my whole life. And so I didn't even really know what to pray for or what to ask for. 
a lot of times I just went in there and let all of my fears and all of my worries run through my head so that I could get them out and kind of get myself ready for the day. My, my day was dictated by the visiting hours at the ICU. I couldn't go in before 8.30, and I would wake up at 5.30, of course, because I could barely sleep. And, and, and I was staying in a hospitality room at the hospital so that I could be close to Aaron. So I would wake up, and I would go to the chapel, and I would just I would sit every now and then I would go. They had a, they actually had a special LEO room for the officers that wanted to come be at the hospital and with, they couldn't visit Aaron, but they could be with the other officers and kind of make sense and just hang out and talk. And every now and then I would go in there, but a lot of times I just wanted to be alone and the chapel was a great place for me to go and just kind of worry and not have somebody look at me with a sad expression and not really know what to say, but feel like they need to say something. It was just a really peaceful place for me to go. We're going to take a short break. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We return for a conversation with Amanda and Aaron Pearson. We'll talk about more of the recovery and what it's taken for them to get to where they're at today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Amanda Pearson and Aaron Pearson, calling us from the Springfield, Missouri area. Aaron is a retired Springfield, Missouri police officer, and he was shot and severely wounded in the line of duty. And quite honestly, there's no other words to use. The fact that, that Aaron is alive is a miracle. The fact that he could walk and talk, if there's such a thing as a double miracle, that's really what it is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that you are here to have this conversation. And one of the things I think that doesn't really get talked about a lot, it's great for us to say, look at how you're doing now. But there's a a long road to get from this catastrophic injury, a lot of determination, a lot of inspiration, a lot of divine intervention, and great medical help to get to where you're at today. And that's part of the story that I don't think a lot of people get to hear about. Yeah, it's everything's kind of everything's different now. Um, I kind of everything kind of being retired. Everything is different now. My daughter always they she calls me Miss. I'm kind of Mister Mom now. I Uh I stay at the I stay at the house. I I clean and I uh, more than I do now. Yeah, 
You're making me look bad, Aaron. Don't be talking about cleaning on the radio. My wife listens to this, and she's going to say, hey, he barely even does the dishes. Yeah, I I can do the dishes. I'm not very good with laundry, but I try and do that. He's not allowed to do the laundry, correction. Somehow, those those laundry paws, I I screwed those up somehow, so I don't do those anymore. Well, if it's it's any consolation to you, I want you to know that I'm only allowed to do my laundry. I'm not allowed to do hers because I don't fold them right. I don't wash them the right order. You got to shake them out a certain way before they go in the dryer. I don't do any of that. I just put it all in a big ball and I wash it and I fold it. Yeah, so it's just different stuff like that. You know, we have dogs. You know, it's just, I know, every, it's it's just different now. So, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, everything has changed. But like I said, you know, I think mental health is big uh, on what we're focusing on um, just for maintenance. I think right now he goes to see a neuropsychologist once every two to three months now. It used to be weekly, and then we got up to every three weeks, and I think the big thing is just for him to have a hobby and feel like he has a drive now because that's one big thing. I know even with my dad with just a knee injury, you know, when you go from doing a job that you absolutely love to one day, like, that's all taken from you, it can be a really hard mental health adjustment um, to find passion in life again and, and a drive for anything. And so that's I feel like what we're focusing on, we've tried for him to find lots of different hobbies. He tried bowling and he tried, he really liked drawing art, like architect type things. And he dabbles in those every now and then. But I think for him, and I, he can speak to this, but I think he really likes to go to the gym and feels like taking care of the house is his job. That's what it is for now. I, I take naps a lot, unfortunately, with that's the, it just makes me, some days when I don't take naps, I can, things are just a little off. I can tell sometimes it's hard for me to remember some things and sometimes it's hard for me to, I don't know, it's just, it's just, sometimes it's even hard for me to talk. I, I just know it's, you know, when I, after a, a year, year and a half after the things happened, I don't remember exactly how long, but I started getting seizures. So about it, at, um, it was, he had his first seizure on our daughter's first birthday. Oh. Yeah, so I I get you know fifteen pills a day. You know, it's a huge deal, but I just had to start doing that. And but then after I after I started the pill after six months, I was able to start driving again at least. Yeah, so that was, made me happy. Uh, I was happy about that, so I could start driving again. So he had seizures for about eighteen months after his first one, and then they were finally able to get that right concoction of meds for him. And and driving was a huge thing because especially, again, mental health, he felt like he was so reliant on me. And that's not, I mean, we are both very independent people. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't like that. And, um, and you know, he felt like he was weighing me down. I couldn't work and I couldn't, you know, do things that I also did when, you know, when all, before all of that was taken from us. And so the driving was huge. He had his independence back. Um, he was able to go and do things when he wanted to. And um, that that getting getting the seizures under control was a huge hurdle. When you talked about the independence, that's something I think that is a, a feature for many law enforcement officers and their, their family members. And when my career was cut short, I was like, what do I do now? 
and I felt like an absolute burden. And I didn't have anywhere near the physical injuries that Aaron had. But it's like, I'm, I'm a burden to my wife. I'm a burden to my children. And breaking out of that mindset is in itself a, a very challenging thing to do. To, yeah. to add into that, all the physical injuries you have to go along with that that are so catastrophic on their own, that is, and I keep using this term, that's miraculous in and of itself. I know, yeah, it, um, it truly is. The, the, when he got his independence back, it was, I mean, he went for his driver's test like he was a 16-year-old, you know, it was, it, and he was that giddy about, about being able to drive again and getting that clearance to, to have that freedom back. We've, I've never been one that has, like, needed him, you know, um, by my side 24-7 or, like, if we're out of town away from each other, I'm calling him all the time. We're just, we're not that type of relationship. And so he wanted that independence and he felt like, you know, like I was just carting him around. But I will never forget my mom two weeks, probably not even two weeks. It was a couple of days after his injury. And she goes, you know, you probably want to think about, looking around to hire somebody to help you in the home um, because she was honestly, and my mom is a nurse and from the health, pro- health profession. So she n- kind of knew what the typical outcomes were for an injury of Aaron's. And, sh- and she honestly saw him on a stretcher in our living room in like a vegetative state, like alive, but not really able to, to do anything. And so she was like, you're going to want to find somebody to help take care of him so you can get out with the kids. And I just remember being so, so mad at the fact that like, she thought that I would need help taking care of my husband. I was like that. I took vows to take care of him. Why, why would that be someone else's job? And, and so I had guilt right then. I didn't know what we were going to do. Thank God we never had to get to that point. But, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, a test of our faith, a test of our relationship, a test of our trust in each other and to, to stay by each other's side through everything that happened. One of the things that was drilled into us, or I should say me, but I'm sure, say with Aaron, and almost every law enforcement officer I know from the academy on day one is no matter how bad the situation you're in, you stay in the fight. You never give up. And I think that you two are an, a perfect example of staying in the fight, of not giving up and not giving in. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. You learned early on that um, catastrophic events can either tear you apart or bring you closer together. And so... We definitely feel, although some days he makes me absolutely crazy, and I think that's a typical husband-wife relationship, um, it definitely made us stronger, and it definitely made us, and this is, sounds so weird because he still has aphasia and still has those communication issues, it made our communication better. It made it more um, more important um, in our life because we have to look at it now, and so... It, it in a weird way it strengthened our communication when we thought that that was going to be taken from us and one of the things i'm sure people are listening are saying what happened with the guy who shot aaron and this is done purposely on my part and we talked about this before the interview amanda and aaron i believe in not giving these people any publicity at all he was apprehended he's convicted and he's in jail and he'd be in, in prison for a very very long time that's it yes he was found cowering in an unlocked vehicle about a half a mile, maybe not even a half a mile um, away from where Aaron was shot. So 
it was it was actually a couple of hours. It was daylight before he was found. But um, he ended up, I mean, there were so many things that connected him to the shooting. Um, he ended up getting life plus 125 years, I think. And just within the last couple of years, lost his appeal. And I love that the prosecutor used his own words against him and his sentencing and, um, you know, from the jailhouse calls and all of that. But I got to do my victim impact statement and really stick it to him. And I'm, I'm so thankful that he lost his appeal because our kids don't have to ever go and say this person is an awful person and he shouldn't be let out. They never, ever have to do that. He is away forever and will never hurt anybody else. As it should be. Amanda and Aaron Pearson, thank you so very much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show and telling your story. It's very, very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. (laughs) 